0: I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter two, and Moses has been drawn from the river. He's been sent to be taken care of by his mother. To be nursed by her, and he is going to be brought back to Pharaoh's house. As we go into this Bible study, for me, it is very important that I remove some things from my brain that were placed there a long time ago. And for those who grew up in church, or maybe those who grew up watching some of the early Christian movies or some of the early movies of some of the early movies of all time you sometimes have a thought about how a story in the bible took place based off of those movies now i would say to anybody e- even maybe some of the young people years and years from now who might be listening to this bible study i would say i would say that you would benefit greatly by going and watching a few of the great old movies that were built, that were made even before I was born. They are epic movies. They were the blockbusters of their day, and uh, many of them are historic. One of the movies that a lot of people really put down a lot, but gives you an idea of what it was like in the South during the Civil War is Gone with the Wind. And it was a historic movie because one of the main characters in that movie, even though she's portrayed as maybe the, the way she's portrayed is very is very flat. She's not a she's not a dynamic character, and she's she meets all the stereotypes. She was one of the first black actresses to ever play in a movie and be one of the primary stars in the movie, and so that makes that movie historic. And it's also very long, and it was an epic of its time. Now, two of the movies that were epics of their time and were shown every a year on Sunday night, there was a Sunday night movie. And they were shown every year at least one of the Sunday nights, one of the 52 Sunday nights of the year. Now, we have so many movies out today and hundreds of movies being made each year. That seems so strange. But back then, the amount of money required to make those movies and the amount of time and resources it took to make those movies, there weren't many blockbusters, and there really wasn't all that many movies released each year. The two movies that were really big and we watched every year, one of them was Ben-Hur. And the other one was The Ten Commandments. And those movies uh, both had a Christian theme to them. And so a lot of times today, I know that they're not pushed, but they are very powerful movies. And Ben-Hur is a powerful story about an ancillary family, somebody not scriptural, it's not a scriptural story, but Jesus plays a pivotal role in that movie. And he's seen a couple of times throughout that movie And he is the redeemer of that movie. And I would encourage anyone who wants to see a movie that's set in Jesus' time and actually uses Jesus as a figure in that movie and a life-changing figure, Ben-Hur is a great movie. Also, obviously, The Ten Commandments is a biblical movie because it's about the Ten Commandments. And it's really about Moses' life. It's a biography of the life of Moses. And it takes a lot of license and writes a lot of stuff into this story that we don't see here. And so sometimes when I'm studying through scripture, I have to take my brain out and say, okay, shake out all the things that were used to fill in a story like like the story of Moses' life. And uh, take that out and then just go straight to the scripture and allow him to see that. You say, I don't really know if I have that. I remember distinctly uh, when I was going to Sunday school, I would. I remember distinctly when we studied Jonah and the whale and uh, there was a picture in there. And Jonah was like in the belly of the whale and you could see like the ribs and he was laying on, he was sitting on something that was looked pink, red And he made him a fire inside the belly of that. And it looked like he was cooking either marshmallows or fish. I'm quite sure it was fish, but it looked like marshmallows to me. And I distinctly remember that. And that gave me the impression that Jonah was alive in the belly of the whale. We know that he was not alive in the belly of that whale. There's not, It's not physically possible that you could be alive in the belly of a whale that that's not how that works he was in the belly of the whale three days and the bible says that jesus says as jonah was in the belly of the whale three days so the son of man will be in the earth the way the son of man was in the earth for three days was he was dead and so I so distinctly remember thinking, Jonah was alive in the belly of that whale. Well, Scripture tells us that Jonah was not alive in the belly of that whale. He was dead, and God resurrected him. And that is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is foreshadowing of that resurrection. It's a prophecy of that. And once I got older and once I've studied more Scripture and thought, about, thought things through, it made sense to me made a lot of sense to me, but I, I I can scarcely figure out how to get rid of all of the things I saw with charlton Heston being Moses in the Ten Commandments and reading this story that I 'm about to read, which is very short, reading this story i 'm about to read and not tying him to the daughter of pharaoh and the love affair that was going on in the 10 commandments and all the things that happened with ramesses and his son ramesses the great and then his son i I just i can't sometimes remove those things but i think it's important when you read scripture that you not allow what i'll call christian mythology which is how we myth, myth make myths out of some things in scripture to teach them to children what we really need to do is teach the children the truth and let God figure out how to place that in their heart and their mind so that they can use it down the road. It says in verse 10 of chapter 2, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. This is Moses' actual mother who who was nursing him, who was sent uh, with Moses after they found him in the reeds. He was sent to uh, nurse with his mother, and he grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son this is a clear picture of adoption she was he was adopted in to the family and i want you to get this because it's very important there's a picture here adoption is a clear picture of god's work in his redemptive capacity god adopts us into his family because we were we were dead in trespasses and sin which means we were separated with, with from him we were not no longer in his image because our spirits were dead and we are adopted back in and given the new birth the new human spirit were made alive again in him so adoption is a picture of being made a part of the family of God again notice Moses is adopted by Egypt and the world and that's the only way for him to have survived is to be adopted by the world and so it says so she called his name Moses saying because I drew him out of the water, and uh, that for the Egyptians, would have been a very important picture because for the Egyptians, remember the Nile River was a god itself, and Moses was drawn out of the Nile river, so he would have been associated with the with the God of the Nile, and so he would have had some mythical or magical power in pharaoh's house because he was drawn out of the water, and uh, he would have had he would have had some position. And not only that, because he was Pharaoh's daughter's son, a grandson of Pharaoh, not a crown prince of Pharaoh, but a grandson of Pharaoh, because he was in that position, he would have had some authority. And as he grew in Pharaoh's house, he would have learned a lot of things, a lot of things that would have been needed, a lot of things about logistics, a lot of things about moving large groups of people in battle. And so he would know a lot about moving the children of Israel throughout the wilderness. He would have learned a lot a lot about reading and writing, and therefore he would have had a great capacity for writing the five books of the New Testament, which we believe he did. These things were of great importance for Moses in his younger years, in his preparation To be the deliverer, to be the one who came and delivered his people out of bondage. That's an important story when you're studying this and thinking about this. Not how, how he was as in the 10 commandments or how great a general he was, or also how great a city builder he was in that movie. He would have been taught all these skills and they would have been important skills and he would have had them and used them in his capacity as an adult man, but he also was a passionate young man, as a young man. We're going to see that here, and this is one of the things I definitely identify with in my own life. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. Now, here is a sentence that lets us know that Moses understood that he was not an Egyptian, or at least that he had some affiliation with the Jews who were in slavery. We don't know exactly what Moses knew. The Bible doesn't tell us. It, it indicates that he figured it out in the Ten Commandments by someone telling him and then him investigating it. We don't know how this all came about. But it's quite clear from this passage, from this verse, that Moses understood that he had some affiliation and or he had some natural affinity toward those people who were in slavery in Egypt, the Israelites. And so he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He saw that, and he he was offended by it. It could be that Moses just didn't like injustice going on. And that's a possibility that you could read into here. It could be that Moses was a man of justice, Moses liked right and wrong. And you will see that happen a lot in Scripture. You'll run into people who... In scripture, that's who they are. And you'll run into people in life. They just have a strong sense of right and wrong. And in fact, a lot of times you'll see those type of people who, when they're children, they want to be in law enforcement. They want to be firefighters. They want to be, in some way, they're they're just natural shepherds. They They like to shepherd the flock. And he had a natural affinity toward right and wrong. And when he saw this Egyptian, and the Egyptian was beating one of his brethren, he didn't like it. Now, as a young man with his anger, And with his lack of wisdom and lack of perspective, he acted rashly. And we do that as young people. We act rashly all the time. And oftentimes in our lives, when we act rashly, we destroy things that God intended for us to use to our benefit down the road. And I, of all people, can identify with that. Acting rashly, speaking rashly, doing things rashly without... Stepping back and allowing time to pass and allowing my emotions to settle and allowing my perspective to be given to me by God, oftentimes I just tore out like a bull in a china shop, as one of my seminary buddies would say. I just tear everything to the ground. And I remember that. I remember burning, burning bridges and burning things to the ground because I saw something that for me seemed to be, it just wasn't right. It just, as we say in the South, it just ain't right, and I didn't like it, and I would act rather than think, act rather than reason, act rather than consider. And when you act rather than doing those things, oftentimes you act wrongly, even though what you may be addressing is a wrong done, but two wrongs don't make a right. And that's exactly what happens with, with Moses. Two wrongs don't make a right. It says, so he looked, it says he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew and one of his brethren's notice. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now notice. He knew that he shouldn't be doing that. He knew that was wrong. And when, he, and when he saw that happening, he knew he shouldn't act this way, but his anger or his righteous indignation overwhelmed him, and he acted wrong. Remember, God is angry, but he does not sin. We get angry, and we immediately fall off into sin rather than using anger properly. The Bible says that man's anger does not bring about God's righteous life and it doesn't. Our anger is always leading us astray. It may be righteous anger. It may be proper anger. It may be anger that actually identifies a problem. And by the way, anger is an important emotion because anger identifies wrong. It identifies injustice. It identifies things that causes problems. That's fine. We need to do that. Pain does that also. Pain when I put my hand on a stove and it burns and I jerk it back, that pain tells me that I am burning, that I should have put my hand there and that I should remove it quickly. But anger does not always give us a solution. Anger just identifies a problem. And you need to get that. Just because you're angry does not mean that you have the solution to the situation. All you have is a recognition of a problem. And your efforts to fix the problem in your own anger will oftentimes lead to destruction in your life. He says, so he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. He may have solved the, the problem of the moment, but he created a far greater problem for himself because he had murdered someone. And you need to see this, that Moses, even as a picture, we see this uh, greatly with a lot of the men in the Old Testament who are types of Christ. We see their flaws, not that Jesus had flaws, but we see that they were men and Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He did not sin. These men always do. David sinned. Moses sinned. You've got Abraham, who's the man of faith. He sinned. You just see that consistently throughout Scripture, that these are flawed individuals who God is using for great things. And so he killed the Egyptian. And he's going to write on those tablets when God gives him the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not commit murder. Notice that's not thou shalt not kill because killing in in the right context is permitted by God. The taking of life, homicide for the right reasons is permitted by God. It's permitted by God in war. It's permitted by God as justice for wrongs done, murder and rape and things like that. It's permitted in certain circumstances and under certain very precise situations, but it's not permitted for him He just did it on his own. And verse 13 says, And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to one, the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Notice, he was protecting the Hebrews from the Egyptians who were oppressing them, and he acted rashly and wrongly. Now he goes out to later on, and he sees two Hebrews treating each other wrongly. Like I said, Anger identifies wrong, but remember, the identification of wrong is not the solution to the wrong. And oftentimes, we identify wrongs that take place all the time in this world, and our anger is not the solution to the problem. It's just the identification. And so he was identifying, well, the Egyptians are wrongly persecuting. They're wrong, doing wrong by my people, and so I'm going to fix this problem. Then he goes out and he realizes, uh-oh, the hebrews are treating each other wrong and they're striking each other and they're uh, wrongly hurting each other and he calls them out and they said then the, then he said who made you prince and judge over us do you intend to kill me as you killed the egyptian and he realizes uh oh my anger has put me in a bad position because now people know that i killed the egyptian so moses feared and said surely this thing is known and it was It was known, and when Pharaoh heard this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. Notice, Moses had to get away because he allowed his anger to destroy his position in Egypt. I I need to focus in on this just for a few seconds. The revelation to us of right and wrong is not a license to do wrong on top of wrongs. God's revelation to us of anger in our anger we we can be angry and sin not but we've got to learn how to do that and anger does not bring about god's righteousness it does not and we we have to learn not to burn down everything and to do our best to build every bridge possible so that we can have every opportunity for god to move his grace and his mercy into certain situations when you burn down bridges, and let me say this, I am the chief among us at knowing how to burn a bridge down, okay? I am an expert in bridge demolition. I know how to do it. I can burn it. I can blow it up. I can dig it out. I know how to burn a bridge, okay? I'm telling you, I am an expert at it. And in my younger years, I could do it outstandingly, and I know, I understand where you're at burning bridges is a terrible idea because you might need that bridge later on. And it's all also generally not necessary. Generally, you can handle the situation without cutting yourself off from God, from opportunities that God might afford you down the road. Do not burn bridges if you can keep from it. Some people are going to burn bridges on you. And when you run up on a bridge that somebody else set a fire, there's nothing you can do about that. But it is. it behooves believers not to burn bridges. It behooves b- believers not to put yourself in a position because of your anger to cause, cause it such that you can't fix the problem down the road that come along because you have no access to the solution because you've burnt the bridge. And as we study through God's word, We need to stop for just a moment and say, don't burn down bridges. If you can keep from it, if sometimes there's just nothing you can do, you got to burn the bridge. I understand that, but uh, it doesn't have to always be that way. And uh, bridge burners usually end up isolated on islands by themselves. And don't allow your anger to bring about unrighteousness. Allow your anger to cause you to think and to consider and to ponder and to find God's will in the matter so that you might walk in his very best. If you'll do that, I promise you God will use your anger for good things. It's an emotion given to you for a purpose. He'll use it to cause about great things, but it won't be your anger at work. It'll be your anger identifying and allowing God to identify to you his work. And we're going to trust that he'll do that for you and we're going to expect that he will. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you hope and peace as you go today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.